turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. We've got two weeks left in our series out of this book of Ephesians uh, that we have been looking at under the heading, Who Am I? And my hope and my prayer has been, as we've been looking at this series since the beginning of January, uh, that your faith has grown as we have learned about truths of our God, truths about our walk with Him, and about uh, our relationship as children of God, followers of Jesus Christ. And we come to uh, this place at the very end of this book. He's going to say, finally, he is in this concluding thought of this letter to this church that he loves, to this church that needs these truths as we do today. And he's going to share some words today that I'm so glad he does at the end of the letter and not at the beginning of it. Because what he's going to tell us today, we will have needed everything we've learned up to this point for what we're going to hear today. Had he started with this passage that's before us today, at the beginning of the letter, we would have lost heart. Uh, We would have slumped down and we would have given up and given in. But now that we've been a part of all that we've learned, all that we've heard up to this point, there's a confidence in us. There is a strength within us. There is a realization that we've got this. And even though the words that he's going to share are a bit ominous, uh, they are going to cause us a bit of disheartening that we're going to hear that we're in a war today. We are going to learn that we fight this war from a place of victory and not from a place of defeat. And because of all that we've learned up to this point, we can have confidence that God who loves us, who cares for us, who has died on the cross for us, who has empowered us and filled us with his spirit, now will give us everything we need to find victory in this battle and victory in this war he's going to tell us about. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 10. We're going to go through the first part of verse 18. And then next week, we're going to finish up this entire series and this entire book. And we're going to believe that this study is going to have changed us and transformed us to become more like God's Son, Jesus Christ. So let's look at what he has to say in our passage this morning. He says the following, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this dark, present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Let's pray. Father God, my prayer is simple, that you would teach us and remind us of your truth this morning. That we as a people who are so quick to be at ease in our Christian walk would be reminded that there's a war going on. A war for lives. A war for lives for people not to come to the reality that they are lost and in need of a Savior. 
And even when we come to that realization and understanding to disqualify us from uh, that fellowship that we have in you, to disqualify us and to, to keep us from your blessing and your goodness. And so, Lord, I pray that we would rem be reminded that nothing can separate us from your love, but much can deter us from having a vibrant and healthy walk with you. And so remind us that the battle is fierce. Remind us of the schemes and the ploys that you uh, want to defend us from. And give us the tools, Lord, that we need to be able to be victorious in it. I'm thankful, Lord, that you give us everything that we need to be able to contend and fight against our enemies. And I pray that we would find victory in this week to come. We do so in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, amen. War. War, a word that's short in our dictionaries, but long in its atrocities and, and, and its pains and sorrows. The last hundred or so years, we have fought more wars, had more bloodshed, and saw more loss of life than any other time in human history. In fact, at the beginning of the last century, we fought a war that we said would be the war to end all wars, only 20-some years later to find, fight an even greater, larger-scale war that would uh, really dwarf the First World War, that war being the Second World War. And if you were to really uh, drill down into what the Second World War was all about, it started with one man seeking world domination, Adolf Hitler. Now, it would begin to uh, swell into other skirmishes, of course, involving Mussolini and the uh, emperor from uh, Japan, but it really started with fascism in Germany under uh, the leadership of Adolf Hitler, one man seeking world domination. And it's quite amazing that one man's pride, arrogance, and selfish ambition would cause so much pain and sorrow. The human cost is unbearable to imagine. One man seeking world domination in seven years would cost 75 million people their lives. 75 million soldiers and civilians would die in the seven years from 1939 to 1946, would lose their life because one man waged war on the world. The human cost is unbearable to think. A word short in our dictionaries, long on atrocities. Then we go to the financial cost. To wage a war is immense. For the United States alone during those seven years, it would cost the United States half of all money that would be spent in the United States economy to fight the war of World War II. That means every dollar that was spent in the GDP, half of all money spent in the United States would go to the war effort to pay for the soldiers, to pay for their implements of war, to make sure that the enemy was defeated. The human cost, the financial cost of waging a war is immense. Now right away, many would say it's not worth it. It's not worth the cost, and some would go to a world of pacifism and say, it's not worth it. There's never a time where we should fight that kind of battle. But I want to remind you of what many historians say might have been had the United States lost the war. Many historians say that the war, or I'm sorry, the United States would have looked like this had the United States lost World War II. 
the eastern seaboard all the way to the Rockies looking like Nazi Germany, the west coast to the Rockies being under the empire of Japan. The United States as we know it now would have been a fairy tale. It would have never been what it is today. And so we as the generations now uh, that are living would say it was worth that great measure of devotion. It was worth the financial cost to stop that one individual's world domination aspirations, to stop them in their tracks, to keep them from winning that war. And so that's what they did. They did everything in their power to win the war, and how sweet was that victory? How sweet was that victory? First, in the spring of 45, when the Nazis were defeated, and the jubilation in the streets that took place, the excitement when the Nazis finally quit their desire to take over the world. And then later that summer, when the Japanese surrendered, the joy that once again spread all over the world, the world war was finally over. The world, in some measure, was finally at peace. Well, in the midst of this letter in the book of Ephesians, here we are learning about how God is for us. All the blessings and benefits God gives his people, his followers, his children. But then he reminds us before this letter ends that we're in war. And the reason why we're at war is you and I made a decision. Going back in Ephesians 2, Paul says that we once were on the devil's side. He says in Ephesians chapter 2 that once we were dead in our trespasses and sin and we used to walk following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient, among whom we all once lived according to the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so at one point, we were a part of this access of evil under the devil. And we followed his ways, and we did his bidding, and we, we followed in the ways of the world, and we rebelled against God. But Paul says that these people in Ephesus, and many here today, made a decision. And their decision was, based on the work of Jesus Christ, we decided, by the grace of God, to flip sides. And the moment we flipped sides, we had a new enemy. The new enemy was our, the devil. And the devil declared war on us. And in declaring war on us, the devil now is fighting battle upon battle against every person who calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. And Paul says we need to be strong. We need to be ready. We need to be fighting, but we need to be careful that we're ready, strong, and fighting in a way that will lead us to victory. That this battle can't be fought like earthly battles, but it must be fought in a spiritual way because it is a spiritual battle. And so this morning, I want to talk about an invisible war that there can be victory found, and I want to do so looking at three points. Now, I'm not going to be able to address everything in this text, and I know some are coming looking for me to spend a lot of time here, and I'm not going to be able to, so here is what I will help you with. Some years ago, we preached an entire series on this topic of spiritual warfare. We entitled it The Invisible War. We spent, I think, three months on 
uh, this topic and subject matter. You can find it on our website um, at villagebible.church under our sermon series page. And in it, you're going to get a whole lot of uh, sermon series and resources on this subject matter of spiritual warfare. If you're looking for more, I really encourage you to go to it, and then you won't be as disappointed when we're done today, okay? So we will uh, we'll do as much as we can today, but if you're looking for more, please go to that, and uh, you will be blessed as, as you do. So three points this morning. Let's dig in, and let's move through this as, as quickly as we can, but as deeply as we can. First of all, we need to understand, number one, we are at war. We are at war. We need to get ready to wrestle. We are at war. That means we need to get ready to wrestle. Paul begins this. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then he says, I want you to pull on the full armor of God that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. Notice right away that these are not words that you would share as you're dropping off your friends or family members at Midway or O'Hare as they head off to Disney World or some all-inclusive resort. Hey, have fun on your vacation. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. That's not vacation words. Those are war words. Those are battle words. And, and what Paul wants us to know is before he closes out this letter, before we close out this series, that Christians, and I'm talking to Christians this morning, that you and I would be reminded there's a war going on. And the characteristic that we need as followers of Jesus Christ is strength and might. And we're going to find out that it's not our strength, but it's his strength, it's his might, but that there's this war taking place. We're not on holiday. We're not on vacation. There's a battle going on. I like what Ruth Paxton says about this battle. She says the following, God has no place for spiritual pacifists. Every Christian is drafted for both defensive and aggressive warfare. He calls every saint to arms, not in a religious playground or a sports field, but into a grim, terrible, bloody conflict which Christians are called. Now you're like, wait a minute. That doesn't sound very Sunday school-esque. That sounds pretty brutal. I want you to know right now that when you followed Jesus Christ, when you decided to be a follower of Jesus Christ, the devil marked you as an individual who he sought to discredit, disqualify, and yes, destroy. The book of 1 Peter says, your enemy, the devil, roams around the earth like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I can assure you he's not seeking to devour people on his side. He hates Christ. He hates Christians. And so the devil looks for Christians to devour. And so what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to find people to devour. So Paul says, okay, I need you to know, I need you to be sober about this, and what I need you to do is to be strong. And there's a moniker that is used in our day, live strong. Live strong. So much so that people wear that moniker on bracelets, they wear it on t-shirts, and it's used for cancer uh, fighters, people that are fighting off cancer, to live strong. The idea here is that you get up every morning, every detail in many ways of your life is to be a fighter against cancer. That you are living 
strong, you are fighting strong against this enemy of cancer. Likewise in that, Christians are to be strong in the Lord, that is to be vigilant in our fight against the devil, his demons that have infiltrated the world, culture, media, and all of these things that are getting footholds in our lives. Now I want you to notice something. Notice who we're not fighting the war against. Notice, he says, we do not wrestle, verse 12, against flesh and blood. So anything that you can do this to that's got blood flowing through their veins is not your enemy. People are not your enemy. Your boss isn't your enemy. Your classmates aren't your enemy. Your neighbor isn't your enemy. The people across the political aisle aren't your enemies. So this isn't a a physical war. This isn't a physical battle. Those people may be physical manifestations of a spiritual thing that's going on. The best way to, to illustrate that is the the issue that happened between Cain and Abel in the book of Genesis. Cain thought he had an enemy of Abel. He was going to kill Abel. But Cain's problem wasn't Abel. Cain's problem was sin. And God says sin is crouching at your door. If you don't deal with this sin, it's going to overtake you. It's going to destroy you. And he didn't deal with it. And it did destroy him. And it did overtake him. And so the problem was, is Cain had a spiritual problem that had a physical manifestation to it. Cain became a murderer physically because he had murderous thoughts spiritually that he could not contain, that he could not rid from his life. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our problem isn't a physical issue. It is a spiritual one. So we need to understand, okay, if we're not, that's not what we're wrestling against. What does this word wrestle mean? This word wrestle is a great word because it doesn't mean a large military campaign. So when he says we wrestle not, it doesn't mean that this is this plural word that it's just talking to a group of people where you can sit idly by and watch other people do it. The very word wrestle is a personal word. It is a word that means man to man, woman to woman, if you will, hand to hand, bloody combat that involves ongoing personal intense struggle. That means if you're a Christian, you're involved in a fight, you're involved in a struggle, you're not watching someone else doing it. Now notice a couple of things. He doesn't say, and I do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against these principalities, powers, and dominions, cosmic forces of this present darkness. What I'm saying is, is he's not saying, well, as a pastor, I do the wrestling, and you pay me to do that. He says, I'm wrestling, you're wrestling, we are wrestling. We're wrestling. And this wrestling is a grueling, tiring, ongoing experience. Now, the question is, who then are we wrestling? Who are we wrestling? The book of 1 John says that our opponents in this wrestling match are three people, or three three principalities. The first is the devil. 
Devil 101. The devil was not always the devil. The Bible says that the devil, before he was the devil, was an angel called Lucifer. The Old Testament says that Lucifer, before he fell, was the chief cherub of gods, meaning he was the CEO of all the angels. And at some point in eternity past, he got it in his mind and in his heart, because of arrogance and pride, that he was better than God. And he started believing he was better than God, and he worked up this idea that he could take out God in a coup attempt. And he was so great, so beautiful, so brilliant, that a third of the angels thought that he could do it. And so they joined him in the insurrection. And God being God, the omnipotent, all-powerful God, struck down this insurrection and threw them out of heaven. And the Bible says now that the devil and some demons are wandering the earth. Some other demons are forever chained in darkness and gloomy dungeons and darkness in hell awaiting judgment. And so as a result of that, they're wandering the earth. We see that in the Bible that Jesus is encou encounters the devil. He encounters um, demons. And so at no point have we seen them anywhere confined. They're still roaming about. The second enemy we have is what we call the world. That's what 1 John says. And the world isn't the globe. It's not like we're anti-globe people, you know. We're out there protesting the globe. The world is the system the system that is opposed to God. So anyone, any belief, any system, any person that stands in opposition to God in many ways is our enemy. The line of thinking that God is nothing and we are something is our enemy. That's where the media comes into play because the media, and when I mean media, everything that we're consuming, everything that we're consuming, this line of thinking that you are the most important thing is the world. All of these issues of identity and sexuality and all of that, that's the world at play because it's contrary to what God's word says. And so it's telling us all of this stuff. These are lies and deceits and deceptions from the world. It comes from the devil and it's contrary to the word of God and we're receiving all of this, and the devil's like, this is how I get it. So the devil doesn't have to be all that involved anymore because the world's, man, it's, it's doing all the advertising. Then you're like, but, but surely a wise person would be able to distinguish all of that. Why are we so susceptible? The third enemy is the flesh, First John says. And the problem is, is when the, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam fell, he was our representative, and so when he fell, he was corrupted because of sin. We too inherited that corruption of sin. And so we are born in iniquity. We are born in corruption. So we have a proclivity to that sin. That's why you never have to teach a kid to say no. Kid just knows it. 
It's just secondhand to them. It's second nature. We are rebels by nature. We rebel against any authority because it is just secondhand to us. And so here we are. We've got the devil. We've got the world. And we've got our own flesh that's telling us, you, don't, you can't tell me what to do. I'm my own God. I get to choose when I want to, what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And then God sits there and says, but I've got another perspective. And so here we're fighting this, we're paddling this, we're struggling with this, and the text says what we're to do with those opponents is to wrestle against them. This daily, ongoing, wrestling, grueling battle. So let me ask you this morning, how tired are you of wrestling? And when I ask that, I really want you to ask, not how tired are you from work, not how tired are you from, from physical activity. Spiritually speaking, at the end of the day, how spiritually drained are you from battling the devil, battling the world, and battling the flesh? And if you've not thought about that, there are two reasons why. One, and I don't want to be melodramatic here, but one, maybe you might not be a believer, okay? Maybe just maybe ask that question this morning. Am I really a believer? Because does this stuff even really matter to me? Or number two, am I so out of the battle? Am I so out of the battle that I'm not even hearing the gunfire? That I'm not even I'm so far from it that I'm not impacted by it in any way. Or could it be that I'm hanging out behind enemy lines and enjoying it? For some of us, we're engaged with the enemy, and we're enjoying it. We're taking in its media, we're, we're, we're hanging out with its combatants, and, and we're enjoying it, and there's no wrestling. There's no struggling. Paul says, I... I fight these things. Jesus said it this way. If there's a part of your body that causes you to sin, you know what Jesus said? And, and people say, I really like, you know, the people in our world today, we really like Jesus. Man, he's really a sensible person. This is what Jesus said sensibly. If a part of your body causes you to sin, gouge it out or cut it off. Sounds sensible to me. You wrestling to that level? Better it would be you enter the kingdom of the heaven, kingdom of heaven marred or maimed than not whole-bodied. So this is what he's talking about. Are you wrestling so much that you're willing to cut off, if you will, and I'm speaking again metaphorically here, that you're willing to cut parts of yourself off, to deny yourself parts so much that at the end of the day you are exhausted because you're like, I can't do it. I gotta, I gotta tap out. I, I, I can't do it, and I gotta fight against it. And it's, it's a wrestling match, where it's just like, we gotta, I, I, I gotta stop. I, I can't, I, I, gotta, I gotta fight this battle with everything I have within me. The idea of exhaustion and comfortability. And I, 
Here, here's the thing. And I'll say this. I'll say this. I'm a comfortable pastor preaching to a comfortable church. And there's a war going on. And there's a war going on, and we don't understand it, and there are casualties all over the place. There's a battle going on. And our families are being decimated by it. Our marriages are being decimated by it. We're, we're being impacted in so many ways because here in this country we've been lulled into a sleep, into a slumber because of our comfortability. We're on vacation while a war has broken out. So what does Paul say? you got to know there's a war taking place. There's a wrestling match. Get ready to wrestle. The devil is in the room, and we need to be wrestling with him. Well, how do we do it and not lose our lives? Get your gear on. You're going to need it. So if you're struggling and feeling like you're getting beat up along the way, Paul says, here's some gear. Here's some gear. Now, right away, we read this gear. He says, put on the full armor of God. And then later in verse 13, take on the whole armor of God. And he starts walking through. And he says, you're going to be able to withstand the evil day. That's the day of the battle, the day of temptation, the day of struggle. You're going to be able to stand firm. And then he starts listing each of them. And there are some pastors who will take each of these um, pieces of armor and preach a whole week on each piece of armor. And, and, I, and my struggle with that is, is I just don't think that that's what Paul intended. He's using an illustration. He's illustrating this, this, this idea of wearing the right stuff. And here's why. Because the context Paul is writing in is Paul's in prison. And so Paul is running into two types of people, prisoners and Roman soldiers. So this is probably what Paul is seeing when he's writing this letter. He's sitting amongst Roman soldiers and he's writing this letter and he's looking and he's saying, okay, what does a guy need to go into battle? And he's looking at Roman soldiers saying he needs a helmet, he needs a breastplate that covers his internal vital organs, he, he needs a, a sword, he needs a shield, he needs shoes. Uh, these are important things that are gonna prepare him for battle. And so if we're going to fight this battle, he's looking at what they have. We need these things. And so let's understand these things. So there's this armor. So let's quickly go through it. And the issue isn't so much the piece of armor, but as much of what he says about what we need. So he says the belt of truth. Is the belt that important? I don't think so. It's the truth that is important. So he says the belt of truth. Why do we need truth? We need truth because we live in a world of lies and deceptions. The devil is the father of lies. Truth is what combats the lies of the enemy. Some of us are losing in this battle because we're believing lies. We're believing lies. Every study right now by the secular world, I will add, that tells us about young people, and they're coming out with study after study right now, groundbreaking studies, CDC, Pew Research, all of these places are coming out with studies of, of people 30, ages, 30 years of age and younger. And you know what each study is telling them? Our young people are lost. They're lost. They're sad and they're lost. And you know why? You can drill it down. 
Because they're believing lies that are, they're telling themselves or other people are telling them. They're believing lies. And so they need the belt of truth. They need God's word to tell them who they are. Young women are being told they're ugly and worthless and nothing. That's not what God tells young women. But they're believing lies. And the second you start believing lies, you're, you're in trouble. And so they need truth. We need truth. Young men need truth. Old men, old women, we all need truth. Because the devil's a liar. We need a breastplate of righteousness. Why do we need righteousness? Righteousness in that breastplate covers our hearts where sin and immorality are prevalent. The lusts of the heart. How many of us are, are ready to give up everything because of something we lust for? Ready to give up our marriage because we want someone else. Ready to give up our work because we're willing to steal something. Because of the lust, the, the lust of, of the flesh. We want something. We're willing to throw everything away because we lust after it. The breastplate, man, is God's way of protecting us from those lusts. The shoes. What army person do you see wearing flip-flops? Doesn't work. You need the right shoes in a world of chaos and conflict. These shoes bring peace. That is, you need the right shoes because in this world the ground is rocky, it's unsettling. And we need shoes that are able to navigate and traverse this rocky ground. And we need to be able then to bring peace to the people of this world. The gospel of Jesus Christ. You've got to have the right footwear to be able to do that. The shield of faith. Stuff's going to be thrown your way. So doubt and disbelief are going to be prevalent in your walk with Christ. And you need that shield of faith to raise it up and to combat those attacks of the devil and the world and the flesh. To resist those doubts, to resist those fears. The helmet of salvation, you need to guard your mind. The negative thoughts and emotions, the anxieties, the depressions, the things that combat against us, that unsettle us. We need the truth of God's word that reminds us of who we are and what Christ has done for us and what he will continue to do for us to settle our unsettled thinking, to renew our minds. And then the sword of the Spirit, the only offensive weapon in the arsenal, to cut through, to pierce through the darkness so that others may see the light. It's this gear. It's this gear that makes us fit for battle. Well, where do you get it? You get it at Dick's Sporting Goods. It's 50% off right now with a Village Bible Church coupon. Oh. Where do you get it? In a vibrant, dependent, ongoing relationship with the Spirit of Almighty God. It's, it's digging into God's Word. It's praying, which he talks about in the text. It's living life in community with other believers. It's dependent each and every day. I'm not doing this in my own strength. I'm not doing this in my own might. I'm doing this because, Jesus, you are my general. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to pursue you, and I'm going to do it with you. And that leads us to the final point. Strength is found in the Spirit. 
you're gonna take your stand with him. How do you find victory? You're not gonna do this on your own. Don't think you can vigilante this thing on your own. You need to stand strong. He's gonna say that a couple different times. Finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, not your might, in his might. So how do we find victory? We find it through Christ, through his spirit. How do we do it? A couple things and I'll close. One, we've gotta be strategic about the schemes of the devil. Notice in the text, it tells us that there are these schemes of the devil that we are to withstand. The word schemes there is where we get our English word methods from. It's a rational, logical plan. So this last week, if you're a football fan, you know that the NFL draft took place. And in the NFL draft, each team is looking at hundreds of players, and they've got binders and game tape on every one of the players, their strengths, their weaknesses. They know everything about the players, their speed, their agility, everything. I want you to know in the spiritual realm, listen to me very, very carefully, the devil's got a binder on you, Christian. He's got a binder with your name on it. And he's sitting there and he's flipping through the binder and he's like, okay, they're really strong at this. Maybe we shouldn't attack that because that's a good defense. But look at old Badal. Man, you do this, he falls down like a four-year-old. Let's hit that. Let's nail him there. Notice, and they take good notes. Notice, man, he fell at that when he was 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 310 times when he was 19. He falls at it all the time. In fact, if we just get out of his way, he'll fall at it on his own. Can I ask you this? And I say this incredibly pastorally. Do you know what scheme the devil's got on you? Have you ever declared it? Have you ever said, this is it? If the devil's gonna take me down, this is it? Maybe the devil's already taken you down, you just aren't honest enough about it. Or maybe what you've done is you've labeled it as a, as a malady, a disorder, um, uh, you're a victim of something because someone else has brought it into your life. You can call it whatever you want. It's a scheme of the devil. There are a couple things that the devil has got on your pastor that, listen to me, if I don't build a wall of the greatest defense with the help of Almighty God, he would destroy me in a minute. And in destroying me, he would destroy my marriage, he would destroy my ability to father my three children, he would destroy my reputation in my community, he would destroy my ability to pastor in this church and destroy the reputation of this church, he would destroy my testimony. And the devil knows it. And I would be an idiot not to declare it, to get a group of friends around me and tell them, hey, I'm weak in this area. Would you keep an eye on me? Would you support me? 
that I wouldn't be praying about it each and every day. Lord, you know where there's, there's breaches in my wall. Lord, will you lead me not in temptation, but deliver me from evil? Because I don't want to go there. And as the hymn writer says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. So take my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. If you've never had that, you are already halfway to failure and you don't even know it. You don't even know it. The Bible speaks of three areas that the devil attacks. Number one, immorality, a whole category. I mean, we call those the aggressive sins, lust, lying, cheating, stealing, um, all the aggressive ones. So if you're like your pastor, you're an aggressive sinner, okay? We always get the heat, okay? We're the, the dirty, rotten, filthy sinners. Then on the other side of the spectrum are the passive sinners. The aggressive sinners hate the passive sinners. The passive sinners... Uh, they struggle with discouragement, depression, um, anxiety. Um, they, 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 they don't sin aggressively, they sin passively. So worry, fear, dread, angst. They're not fight, they're flight. If the devil can't get you on either of those, you know what he does? He just gets people to come out and kill you. It's called persecution. And so he'll just send people and they'll just kill you. Because if you won't kill yourself in those two ways, if you will, metaphorically, he'll send someone just to physically kill you. And so immorality, despondency, or persecution. That's how the devil goes about it. So what do we do? Let me close with this, and I promise I'm closing with this, okay? Lean into his strength, into his might, so there's a, a biblical thing here going on. What Paul is doing is he's doing what we as preachers say are indicatives and imperatives. Indicatives, things that you can't do. Imperatives, what you can do. Indicatives. He says, be strong. That's in the passive voice. You can't be strong on your own. Only he can do it. He doubles down. He says, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. You can't do it. You don't have the power to find victory. So lean in him. Rest in him. Uh, rely on him. It's all on him. It begins and ends with him. My, brother's, my brother who passed away some 30 years ago, this was his key verse. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. He's going to win the battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. That's the indicative. The imperative is all the things that we can do. What are the things we can do? Verse 11, put on the full armor of God. Number, uh, verse 12, wrestle. Verse 13, take on the full armor of God. Verse 13, withstand. 13, stand firm. 14, stand. Uh, verse uh, 18, praying at all times with all prayer and supplication. So we can't win this battle, but as God is winning the battle for us, there is much that we can do. So let me ask you, what are you doing in this war? What part have you given to God, and what part are you doing on a daily basis? We're at war, my friends. And I know that's a sobering thing. And I know some of you say pastors being all melodramatic. 
Look around you. Do you see the pain and the sorrow? I shared an alarming fact. The CDC said of our young ladies that two-thirds of them say, of our young ladies, two-thirds of them say they live in a prevalent state of depression. One-third of American girls have come up with a plan to commit suicide in the last 365 days. You don't think we're in a war? Are you kidding me? We're at war, my friends, and that's just one battle, and I don't mean to single that out, but we're at war, and our young people are on the front lines of it, and the only answer, the only weapon that will win, it is not more education, not more entertainment, not any of that, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to wisen up, and we need to sober up, and we need to recognize the only way we'll win it is by teaching and training any and all who will listen that the answer is Jesus, and the battle belongs to him. And so fight it with all your might, and rely and rest on him, because he promises he'll give us what we need. Amen?